I am so pumped to be here. Uh, if this is your first time with us, or maybe you've been here a couple of times, I just want to welcome you to The Bridge. Uh, this is our Tuesday night gathering for college-age students. If you're not a college-age student, I don't really care. I'm just really glad you're here. The reason why we call it The Bridge is because we want to bridge the gap between college-age students all throughout Denton, Texas, to give you a place where you can show up and belong to the people of God, to people that share the same values as you, the people that are, same, that are running in the same direction as you towards honoring Christ, living a life that's honoring to Him, and uh, that we could be lights in what is a fairly dark place that is Denton, Texas. And the other thing that we want to do with the bridge is to bridge the gap between God's Word and our lives. And so every single week, we're going to open up God's Word so that we can learn from it, we can grow from it, and... Uh, and that our lives would be changed as, as we just let God do his work in us uh, through the spirit and the word. And so I, I don't want to spend a, a ton of time introducing myself or really much more than that on what the bridge is. Because uh, we've got some work to do in the book of Daniel. But what I do want you to know, if, this is, if you're new with us, our goal is not to impress you. We're not here to impress you with the quality of our worship. We do it well, as best as we can, because we want to remove distractions from your opportunity to worship and for us to worship together. We want you to be focused on him. My goal is not to impress you with Bible knowledge or to be super entertaining and make you laugh a whole lot. And our goal is really, really simple. We want to open God's word. We want to explain it apply it, uh, and we just want this to be a place and a people uh, that you would leave encouraged, that you would leave uh, admonished, maybe challenged, maybe corrected, maybe you would leave just closer to God than when you left, and more like him. And, and so that's what we do. My goal up here is to explain and apply God's words to our lives, because I believe that there is life-changing power in God's word as it is accompanied with the Holy Spirit. And so the reason why I call it God's Word is because this is literally God's message to us. He's the one that is delivering these things through human authors, and, and the power is with Him. In fact, we got 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 up here on the screen. All Scripture is God-breathed. Maybe your translation says inspired, but it literally means God-breathed through these uh, human authors, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, which is us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why we, would, that's why we do what we do. That's why we open up God's Word, um, and we do that every single week. So having said that, uh, make your way over to Daniel chapter 1 if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to be camping out in the book of Daniel uh, for a decent while. Maybe we'll make it through the whole fall semester. Um, if you're licking your chops right now because you just love the whole prophecy side of, of the book of Daniel, um, I hate to disappoint you, but we're probably not going to get to chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 too much. What we're really focusing on is the historical narrative that is chapters 1 through 6, where we focus on the person of Daniel and his three friends as he navigates life in a culture uh, that is anti-God and really a completely foreign culture to anything that he was used to. And the reason why we're going through the book of Daniel is because, I think I was talking to someone earlier, uh, you have probably just planted down in Denton, Texas, you're at UNT, you're at Texas Women's University, you're NCTC or a fire academy or something like that. And maybe you're in a little bit of a culture shock. 
because everything is, a, is different than what you're used to. The friend group that you had was safe, it was comfortable. Maybe you, you were all Christians and you were in the same youth group. Maybe your teachers, you went to a private Christian school or it was your mom or dad or something like that and now you're here in Denton, Texas and, and I think we can be honest and say the culture here is not exactly the most God-glorifying culture in the world. I loved it and I've grown up here and been here most of my life. Um, but it's, the most not, it's not the most God-honoring thing and we said, man, we want to learn from Daniel. We want to learn from these people in the ways that they were faithful with what God had called them to even as he planted them in a culture that was totally foreign to what they were experienced with. And so we want to learn from him as much as we possibly can uh, in this fall semester and figure out how we can be lights in the darkness. So what I want to do, I want to read verses 1 through 7, and and our goal is just to set the scene, to know exactly what we're getting into and, and what Daniel was experiencing. So follow along with me as I read these verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him, he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them for a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So... What we have here, I know that was a lot, but I just wanted to lay it all out there for us. Uh, Right there in the beginning, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, which is a little bit of a tongue twister, so we may just say King Nebi every once in a while, he besieged Jerusalem three times over the span of about 20 years. And so, uh, just to give us a little bit of a history, we have a, a timeline up here of that whole process and what happened. So, Babylon... Uh, was, was kind of a city along the Euphrates River, and they really usually didn't uh, spend a lot of time in the ancient Near East. It was predominantly owned by Israel and Judah and Assyria and Egypt. Assyria and Egypt were the world powers first, uh, but then Babylon continued to grow and grow and grow, and Babylon actually took out Assyria and Egypt in a battle in 605 BC, uh, the Battle of Carchemish. If you're really a historian nerd, I'm, I'm I've got you right now. Uh, But right after that, Nebuchadnezzar moves his army towards Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah. And he, uh, basically, they kind of go to war, they invade it, and uh, there's a lot of carnage, there's a lot of loss on the side of Judah, and what he does is he takes a small group of people exiled back to Babylon. 
Daniel and his three friends in 605 BC, they are a part of that first group that are exiled to Babylon. After this, we see in 597 that, they, that he comes back again. Uh, this is because the king that Nebuchadnezzar set up in place in Judah was kind of like buddy-buddy with him. And then he tried to make a deal with Egypt to go against Babylon so they didn't have to pay taxes to Babylon anymore. You kind of heard things like that happen in the past, maybe in American history. Didn't work this time. Babylon came back and made it worse for them. Pretty much took about out everyone from Judah except for the poorest of the poor, the lowest and the 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 social ladder and economic status and they were just basically there to keep the vineyards and the animals and stuff like that and then in 586 bc uh, they come back again and completely destroy jerusalem all of the walls all of the defensive things that they had set up were torn down the temple that was built under solomon an amazing thing was completely wiped out they pulled out all of the artifacts all of the gold all of the amazing things and they took it to babylon god's chosen people the nation of israel who ended up splitting because they couldn't get along and so you had the 10 northern tribes and then you had the two southern tribes that made up Judah, the kingdom of Judah, uh, which was um, lasted a little bit longer because they were a little bit better and more faithful to the Lord. But the northern tribe was taken out by Assyria in 722 BC. And then here in 605 and following, Judah is taken out. And so God's people, who were supposed to be a beacon of hope, like a lighthouse that the whole world would flock to their temple and worship the Lord and come to know him, they were supposed to be his ambassadors to the world, uh, that the whole world would know him and have relationship with him, are completely wiped out. They're destroyed. It's like they're not even a blip on the radar anymore. They don't even have a home at this point. And so everybody is kind of scrambling as to what that means about God and who he is and, and why all of this could happen. It's, and, and they're asking all of these really big questions of, was God overpowered by, by Babylonian gods? What happens to the plan? What happens to the messianic line that's set up by Abraham and, and King David that the scepter would never depart from Judah? All of these questions about what was happening to God's people were being asked. And if you notice there at the bottom, there, there were two... Uh, chapters that you can check out if you're interested in this. Second Kings chapter 24 uh, details a lot of these things. And then Second Chronicles 36 also details a lot of this stuff. And, and what's interesting for us is Second Chronicles 36 explains what happens, but it also explains why it happens. And this is the part that you can't miss in the story. This is a lot, <laughs> but I'm going to read a little bit of it. He, which was the king of Judah at the time, did evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. Yet the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. 
So he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, which was Nebuchadnezzar. You can use Babylon and Chaldea interchangeably. They were two different people groups that kind of came together, and then as time and generations went by, they were basically the same. So you can use those synonymously, and we kind of will as we move through this. But the point is this. God's people were not overpowered by Babylon. Babylon's gods did not defeat the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's not what was happening here. The Lord gave his people over to the Babylonians because of their continual rejection of him. And so what we see is that this was a form of discipline for the people of God. Because this is what they deserved. They didn't want anything to do with God, but they just took his blessing and protection for granted. Which is something that we can do as well. And so what God does is he gives them over in a form of discipline to the Babylonians. But God is also going to use this exile for 70 years in Babylon to show the whole world that he is the one sovereign God of the universe. And God is going to use the faithfulness of Daniel along with his three friends to do it. This is the theme of the book is the sovereignty of God. Even when the Gentile nations like Assyria and Egypt and Babylon and soon to be Greece and then soon to be Rome are the superpowers of the world, God wants it to be known that he is in control always. And so we're going to see that theme play itself out often in this book. And so Daniel focuses on Daniel as he goes through life in the completely different culture of Babylon. Now, before we really get into this story, what we need to do is under the, understand the culture that surrounds him. Because it was a major culture shock to go from Judah amongst the people of God to a pagan and evil nation like Babylon that worshipped all kinds of different gods. That had all kinds of different rituals and uh, sacrifices of, of kids to these gods that they were worshipping. They were a very uh, perverse and evil culture. And Daniel and his friends, they're probably... 15 to 16 years old. And if you could just put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Many of them in 605 BC in that first invasion, they probably watched friends and even their own family get killed in this invasion. They were killed in battle and now they have been ripped from their home. So they're no longer with their family. They're 15 years old. They don't know if their family's alive. Maybe they saw their family, their mom and dad get killed in war. And now they're in a, complete, a place that is totally foreign to them. They are surrounded by people that speak a different language, that worship many different gods. And the Babylonians have a plan to immerse them into their system and assimilate them into their culture. Now, to connect this with us so we have application here, um, our experience probably isn't that intense in Denton, Texas. <laughs> um, but I bet some of you are feeling a bit of culture shock right now if you're new here. Uh, you might be figuring out uh, what exactly is going on and, and if you're going to be able to find a place here where you have fellow believers, where you can have fun and, and do life together without compromising your values. Because I know, because I've been around here, the most popular place in town is Fry Street on the weekend. And I know every time I go knocking on apartment doors or I'm just around on campus, it just kind of smells like weed a lot. 
okay, if I'm being honest. And uh, a lot of people that I have conversations with um, are totally apathetic towards God. They don't really care. They don't want him in his life. They're like, ah, that's not interesting to me. Others, they don't like Christians at all. They don't really care. In fact, two years ago, three years ago, um, I think it was two years ago, uh, there was a group of people that were praying on campus and they were kind of doing like this little prayer rally outside of UNT in the Union. I'm sorry if this is about to freak you out, but uh, a group of protesters showed up because they didn't want them to be praying on campus. And so it was like 100 and there were like 15, 20 of these people that were praying and they just surrounded them with megaphones and all of these different things and signs and whatnot. And they were chanting, F your God over and over and over again at them to just drown out their prayers. That was at UNT. I know this is not like a glowing recruiting video for UNT right now, but that happened 12 minutes from here. It starts to hit home a little bit. Maybe, maybe we're not the home team, right? Maybe we're not the majority here where God has planted us. And that's okay. That doesn't scare me because God's word is chock full of people that have a similar experience to us that God's going to plant us in a place that we're not the majority. And that's a good thing, because we get to be people of influence. We get to be people that are faithful where he's planted us to make an impact here for Christ, for the gospel, for the good news. And so even if you feel all of this pressure, that's okay, because we can do this together. We can walk with the Lord and honor him. But the challenge for us is that in our attempt to honor God, but also invest and connect with the culture he's placed us is, how do we make sure we don't compromise? Right? How do we make sure we don't compromise our Christian values in order to connect where God has planted us? This is the same experience for Daniel and his three friends. This is what uh, they're going to be walking through as they have this experience. In fact, in the Bible, Babylon is, is not just a physical nation on the Euphrates River that, that conquers Judah. Uh, the Bible speaks of Babylon as a representation of an evil and idolatrous world system set up against him. The biblical authors actually use Babylon as a code name. It's, it's mentioned 287 times in the Bible. The only city that is mentioned more is Jerusalem. And so basically what you see is Jerusalem, the house of God, the people of God, and Babylon, this kind of code name, the spiritual representation of all that is against God. They're pitted against one another. And, and at the end of time in Revelation 18 and 19, the judgment that is poured out on this evil nation, the biblical author uses Babylon to describe this nation. That's what's going to be at the very end. But even in the beginning, Babylon gets its start in Genesis chapter 11. It says the whole world had one language and common speech, and the people of the earth moved eastward until they settled on a plain in Shinar, which is what we see in verse 2. Does anyone know what they build there? The Tower of Babel. Anyone know where they get Babylon from? <laughs> it's that. It's the Tower of Babel. Babylon, it just slowly progresses more and more into this massive nation, this world power. And remember what the Tower of Babel is. It's a group of people, they didn't want to follow God anymore. They didn't want to keep expanding throughout the earth so that the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. 
they gathered together and says, hey, let's make a tower so big and, and that way that all of these gods that we'll create, they can come up and down and we'll make a name for ourselves. They didn't want to be under God. They wanted to be his equal. They wanted to be over God. This was the spirit of Babylon, where man was at the center and man was in charge. That the God of the Bible would not be worshipped. He would be disregarded. This is the spirit of rebellion that our friends have been set into. That they have been thrown into. And what we know is that the Babylonians were not content to let these guys just do their own thing. They wanted to assimilate them into Babylonian culture to such a degree that they would totally forsake their old ways. The strategy of the Chaldeans was to take the best and the brightest among the youth, right? That's what we saw in verse 3 and 4. They wanted to take the best guys that came from royal families. So they were already kind of a part of the, the ruling class that the common folks of the Jews would look up to these guys. They would follow them. They would have influence. And so they take them before they take everybody else in 597 B.C. And they begin to put them into their system in hopes that they can brainwash them into Babylonian culture and control them. And by controlling this group of people, they can control all of the Jews that are now in Babylon. So this is the master plan of the Babylonians. And they're going to use three avenues in order to brainwash. I know that's such an intense word, but I can't think of another one. Assimilate them, kind of pressure them to kind of fit into the Chaldean culture so that they can control them, get along, and basically forget what their Jewish heritage is. So they put them in the sister system of the Chaldean culture. They educate them. They train them, develop them into this mindset so they will put Babylon first and not the place that they were from. Those three avenues are identity, worldview, and lifestyle. Those were the three pressures that Babylon were putting on these young guys. We want to change your identity. We want to change your worldview. And we want to change your lifestyle. So it will conform with the way we do things here. To connect with this, this with us today, if I had to take a wild guess as to where you feel the most pressure to compromise your Christian values today, I would guess it was an identity, your lifestyle, and your worldview. So the book of Daniel has stuff for us, for us to learn from and see how this is going to play out. Let's start with identity. In verse 7, the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. These guys had good Hebrew names which pointed to the glory of God and Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to speak praise to his gods. We actually have a little graphic up here which explains what their names meant in Hebrew, what Jewish ancestry and the things that that communicated, and then what their new Babylonian names meant. And you can see with every single one of them, Daniel means God is my judge. 
Belteshazzar means Baal protects the king. Baal was one of the biggest, um, what we would call uh, pagan gods or idols uh, that was around in their culture and, and throughout that history. Um, and so Baal protects the king. Hananiah, God's gracious. Shadrach, under the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, there is none like God. Meshach, there is none like Aku. Azariah, God has helped me. Abednego, the servant of Nebo, which is the Babylonian god of wisdom. So he wants these young teenagers to forget where they came from. He wants them to forget about God and the relationship that they have with him. So he says, hey, you're going to stop saying those names. And you're going to start talking about Aku and Baal and Nebo. We want you to be using that language because we know this. When you think your identity is set in a certain thing, it drastically impacts the way that you live your life. Drastically changes the way that you live your life. And so you think, man, if I'm just born a certain way, or if I'm just born for a certain purpose, you're going to funnel your life in that direction. And so identity is a hugely important thing. And that's why he wanted to change it, so that they would forget about those things. To give you some examples of how we feel this pressure today, um, and we're not going to dive into this too much, but just to give you some ideas, probably the most heated areas in our, our world is is the topics of sexuality and gender identity and how identity is often found in, in how we feel. That often I'll have conversations and someone will say, I was born a male, but I feel like a female or I feel attraction to other girls and so I find my identity, identity as someone who is gay. In fact, I have a friend who, who says he's a gay Christian. And here we are, in 2023 as believers, we have to learn how to navigate those waters. How do we love a friend well? How do we, how do we care for him? How do we be a good friend? And yet, at the same time, that we wouldn't compromise what, what we would believe the Bible says about those things. And so we have to learn how do we navigate these waters? because we want to say what is true and what the Bible says, but we may risk the hit of being called hateful or intolerant. And this obviously bleeds into the next category, which is worldview. The way that we view the world, of what is right and wrong, where morality is, what is better, best, good, worse, what are bad things, what are evil things. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he goes after their worldview by educating them in the literature and language of Babylon. So he has these guys, they're reading philosophers and historians all about the Chaldean gods and how great they are and the things that they have done in the past. And here's what his goal is. He wants these guys to start doubting what the Bible says. He says, hey, there's, there's not just one God. You know that, right? Like, we have gods. They're doing great things. They helped us in war. They're obviously real. Your God says there's only one God, but that's close-minded. There's a lot of gods. Or maybe we feel this in creation and evolution conversations, right? We say, well, hey, because of carbon dating and evolution and theories and science and data, all of these things, we know that God didn't create the heavens and the earth. 
We can rule out the supernatural from this process. We can just expand this process over billions and billions and billions of years and rule out God being in any of this. And we feel this pressure, right? How do we navigate these things? Are we wrong to compromise? Are we wrong to say, yeah, maybe God didn't create the heavens and the earth. Yeah, maybe this thing isn't that wrong. Or maybe there are other gods. Or, hey, your truth can be your truth and my truth can be my truth and we can all just coexist. Truth is relevant. There's no absolute truth. We can all just believe whatever we want to believe. But how do we navigate the waters that we have? But here's what I believe. What happens is when we start to doubt what the Bible says and we start to compromise on one thing, it begins to snowfall. And it becomes another thing after another thing after another thing. The moment we begin to budge on anything, we will start to fall for everything. And so we have to be so cautious with what we are hearing and listening to. Now, this obviously brings in the conversation about education. And what I'm not telling you is that all education that is not Christian education is bad. Okay, please don't hear me say that. Please don't hear me say that all education is bad. You need education to become a nurse and a pilot and an engineer. Like, please, 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 please do not just get into a plane that I'm in if you have no education, okay? Uh, you need to be educated. You need those things. But the key for us is that we have to be grounded in God's word so that when we're hearing what people are sharing with us and when they tell us their worldview, we can pass those, through, those things through divine truth. We can take what we're listening to and say, does that line up with what God says? And we can take the good and say, yeah, that does conform to what God says. That does line up with what he said. But we can throw out the bad things. And so we want to examine all of those things as best as we possibly can. Not just us in our own right, but we want to do our research. We want to dig into these things as best as we possibly can. This is what exactly what, what Daniel and his friends are going to do. There are going to be some things that they'll listen along to and they'll learn the culture so that they can better have conversations with the culture. That's a great thing to do. In fact, we have a lot of classes here at DBC that are called cross-cultural training for cross-cultural ministry. We take a trip to Austria every summer, and one of the biggest things that we spend time on is learning Austrian culture, learning Romanian culture, learning the ins and outs of what they love, what they don't like, what's disrespectful to them, what, what they enjoy, and all of the things that we need to know so we can better love on them. And so we don't do anything that makes us look stupid or offend somebody, and then we lose our opportunity to share the gospel. So it's not bad to learn other cultures. It's not bad to learn the things that uh, we would agree with and the things that we disagree with. But we have to have a solid foundation so we don't fall for things when we're exposed to them and we're not affected by them or swayed by them because we know what God's Word says. What that means is that we don't just blindly trust what we hear from others and take it as true. Don't just assume what your professors are telling you or your boss is telling you to do is the best and, and true thing to do. Examine it. Don't be a jerk. Don't be like the Facebook argumenting, commenting guy all the time. Be like, actually, you can be wise and humble about this whole process. 
But don't just believe whatever you're hearing is true. Because we feel the pressure often from people of authority. I mean, put yourselves in Daniel's shoes. This isn't just a pal that he's like, hey, the God of Aku is a real cool guy. No, no, no. It's, it's from King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, who in three years is going to have you in his temple court or in his royal courts, giving him advice, talking through things. He's going to have a relationship with this guy. There's pressure coming from positions of authority that these guys are feeling and they have to navigate those waters and make sure that they're not compromising their Christian values. And then the final one is lifestyle. The final attempt of the Chaldeans was to change their lifestyle. In verse 5 it says, The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. We want to change your lifestyle to sit around a table and, and share a meal and talk values and talk what we love. Um, what's interesting is this is going to be the one that Daniel and his friends, they draw the line. They put their foot down and say, hey, we're not going to compromise here. You can change our names. That's fine. We'll remember our names. We'll remember our ancestry and where we come from and that God created us. We'll remember that. Education, that's fine. We'll, we'll do three years of education. Because we know what God's word says and we can shift between those things and know what right and wrong is. That's okay. But lifestyle landed at a spot where it would cause them to sin. And we're going to dive into that in greater detail next week. So show up because you want to know why. But I, I will say this. I'll just share a, a personal story from my own life. My time in high school, I was not a follower of Jesus until my sophomore year of high school. And my lifestyle had changed pretty drastically after becoming a Christian and and so I had some friendships that started to look a little bit weird and become awkward because all the things that I did and said and joked about and things that I would, um, I guess, entertain with all of my friends, I stopped doing. And that was really confusing to them and harsh the vibes or whatever they would say. I don't know. And, uh, and sometimes they would get annoyed by my new Christian convictions. And there was a time in particular when they all wanted to go out. This is, I went to Crum High School. I'm not here to bash Crum High School. I loved it. Crum High, we love thee. But what we would do, not we, they would do, uh, they would go out to pastures and dig like a hole with a trench uh, and then get a barrel and then they would have a fire out of that barrel and then they would just get drunk and high. And that's a fun time in Crum, Texas, okay? And I didn't want to do that because I had all these Christian values and I'm like, I don't want to do those things. But we're friends with all of these guys, and they would get annoyed when I told them that I wasn't going to join them. They were frustrated by my unwillingness to compromise my lifestyle. All the time, they would be like, dude, I'm a Christian too. It's not a big deal. We're just having fun. God doesn't care. Like, we're just going to drink. No one's going to get hurt. Pressure to compromise in our lifestyle. Am I going to walk with God? Or am I going to follow the crowd? This is the decision that all of us face every day, 20 times a day. Are we going to follow along with the crowd so we don't look lame or so we're not disliked or so we're not excluded from the party? We may miss out on some fun or a good time 
people may get frustrated with us or call us names. We may get excluded from things. I stopped getting invited to those pastor parties, which was not missing out on really much, but I didn't get invited anymore. I was excluded from that friend group. But what I can tell you is that it's worth it. It is worth it to walk with God, even if we walk alone. But I got to tell you, and this is why I love what's happening here, is that we don't have to walk alone. We may not be the majority, but we don't have to walk alone. Because this group of people, this gathering, can be people that love God. And we have a lot of fun, too. We're going to do some amazingly fun things. And we're going to encourage each other in our walks with God. And even in days when we get discouraged, when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, when we feel outnumbered, we can remind ourselves that there is a group of people that gathers on Tuesday nights, that opens God's word, that worships him, that you can sing out as loud as you can. And no one gives a rip. They'll just sing louder themselves. This is a place you can belong. You can know God. You can worship him. You can be challenged and sent out and get more courage to go back out to your friends and invite them here where they might find real life, real happiness, real satisfaction, real hope. Because I guarantee you, though it looks fun on the outside and you get this fake front of all of those things and it feels good for a moment, they're chasing desperately for something that will last. I've seen it. I've lived it. You may have lived it too. Maybe you've been chasing for it. And you said, maybe the next relationship will give me the hope that I want. Maybe it'll make me feel good. Maybe it'll make me feel valued and connected and like I matter and I have some significance. Maybe it'll be at this bottom of the bottle. Maybe it'll be this time going through Fry Street. Maybe it'll be this time when I sit around with some friends and connect with them and smoke some weed that I'll feel like I actually belong with a group of people. Feel these pressures to compromise. But I can tell you that God's word is true. And there's no better place, and there's no better thing than to walk with God and to be with his people. Now, the challenge for us is that we want to circle up every Tuesday and we have life groups and some amazing fun events and we go to UNT football games and all that jazz. And we're going to do stuff together. But the challenge for all of us is that we can't forget about everybody outside of here, right? Part of being a Christian is that we still exist on this earth and God has called us to make a difference here. And so we have a refuge. We have a place where hopefully you can show up and just exhale and say, ah, I'm amongst God's people. But we got to go out there. We got to live on mission and we got to call people to come and see what God's doing here in this people. So this fall, we're going to learn how to navigate those waters. We're going to learn how to be lights in the darkness, how to be bold with our faith, but also loving and kind and compassionate with the truth that we share. And we'll do that together. I'll leave you with this verse, Romans 12, 2, one of my favorites. It says, do not be conformed to this world. One translation I love, it says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed to it. But... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that is being renewed in God's word, reminded continually of what is right and true and good. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we learn from the example of Daniel and his friends as they, many, 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 many centuries ago, um, were challenged in their faith, were challenged in their belief system, um, were completely ripped from their homes and their experience, trying to figure out why on earth uh, they aren't in their hometown anymore. That there's not some church at the end of the block, there's not just some place that they feel isolated and excluded and probably terrified. And yet, God, you called them to be there, you and your sovereignty, you knew what you were calling them to. And the same is true for us. We have a purpose here. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in that. Lord, we just want to worship you, we want to honor you, we want to live for your glory. So I pray for my friends here that you'd help us connect and belong and worship you because you and you alone are worthy of it. Father, we love you. We want to praise you now and sing of your goodness uh, and make connections and build friendships that last and run hard after you because you and life with you is worthy and better than anyone and anything else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We all stand. Yeah.